I think it's that we put our people first and then they serve our clients well. And in many of the other firms, the client needs come first and they just crunch it out with whatever people they have. Um, wow. And, and I understand, you know, those big firms have huge name clients. They have tight deadlines. They're providing a different kind of service than we do. Very deadline driven. And they're in this circle of, they work with people, they have lots of hours and then they leave and they get new people and they work them tons of hours. Um, they're just in a different cycle than we are. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. We're back with episode 112. Our special guest is Lori Kaiser and the title is Just Ask Your People. Practical ideas to grow your people, engagement and business. And yes, you're going to hear that answer over and over from Lori. Lori is the CEO and founder of Kaiser Consulting. And throughout the interview, you're going to hear her tell us that their strategy, their everyday tactic is ask our people. Kaiser Consulting is a professional services firm. They provide outsourced accounting, finance, and IT services. They've got over 80 finance and accounting professionals on staff today and their entire schedule is based upon a flex schedule. They hire people and say, what's your optimal schedule? How many hours do you wanna work? Is it 24, is it 40? And noticeably, it's never more than 40. In this world of finance that's usually about grinded out, Lori Kaiser and Kaiser Consulting have created a truly people-first organization where their foundational principle is let's ask our people and deliver it. And when we do that, we deliver great services and value to our clients. A simple concept, but so often missed. Get ready to listen to some crazy talk that works. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. I'm excited with our new guest today. Our guest is Lori Kaiser, who her company is Kaiser Consulting. Uh, she based in Columbus, Ohio, the company, she's uh, enjoying the COVID time in St. Pete, Florida. So she's down here with me and right across the bridge from Tampa. Incredibly, Lori has been in this business for 29 years. And that is just, no matter what business you're in, that's an impressive track record. The other thing uh, I noticed about Lori when we chatted a couple of months ago is she's in an industry. Kaiser Consulting does professional services specializing in accounting, finance, and IT consulting. They have 80 finance and accounting professionals. And if you know anything about this industry, that's really unusual because typically companies like Kaiser that provide these outsourced services are typically smaller businesses or huge enterprises. You know, this is a division of huge companies. So looking forward to hear the story of business growth, business leadership, 
uh, all things that are going to be highly impactful for all of you. So welcome, Lori. Thanks for having me. So give us a little bit of the backstory, Lori. Sure. So I started my career at KPMG right out of college, like a lot of accounting uh, students do. And I really liked my job. Um, it was challenging, lots of travel, lots of big clients. And it was a great fit for me until I had a family. Mm. And once I had a family, I didn't want to travel anymore. And so when I was out on maternity leave, I decided that I wasn't going back. And it was going to take a few months and figure it out. And in that time, one of my former clients called me and said, hey, um, do you want to come out and do project work for us? You can make your own days and hours. And, you know, we know you, you know us, and we think it'll be a great fit. And I thought that that would be a nice short-term um, fit for me while I was figuring out my next career step. And what turned out happening is, is that I liked it. I liked, instead of doing audits, I liked helping a company solve their problems mm, yeah. um, in the accounting and finance world. And I really liked making my own schedule, um, working my work time in around the things that were important to my family and my children. And I decided to turn that into a business. And as I got more and more work, I um, hired people that looked like me who weren't really that happy staying at home. Mm. Um, they missed their careers and they wanted the part-time flexible schedule that I had uh, to continue using their brain, yet also to be able to have a nice balanced life and be able to be a good mom or dad. And so I basically took that principle and grew my business from just me to we have about 80 employees now. Fantastic. And you've not only got the people, but you've done it well with your people. I mean, one thing I want to add to our audience is this. Um, Kaiser Consulting was named a Columbus Best Places to Work in 2015, 16, 18, 19, and 20. Lori was given a visionary award by the National Association of Women Business Owners. 2019, she got a Small Business Leader Award from the Columbus Chamber of Commerce. You know, Craig, I've said this to you before. Awards to me, you got to go under the surface because some awards are just awards. But having talked to Lori a couple of months ago, I, I walked away from that call saying, wow, this is somebody who is walking a different walk in leadership and in team engagement. And that's what we're going to get to hear about today. Nice to hear that you get it, Lori. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, Lori, I want to dive into one of the Lori, I'm going to dive into one of the coolest things that when I first talked to you, and you just referenced it, you started off this business because one of the things you wanted was flexibility for your to work around your priorities, which I love. And what you just alluded to is you've done the same thing with your team. I don't know the percentage, but I know you have a lot of women that work for Kaiser Consulting. And talk about that intentional, that intention about the people and go into the story about the flex schedule that you ought, not just offered, but that's the deal. Sure. Um, so what I, when I left my career at KPMG, it wasn't that I didn't like the work. What I didn't like was the travel and the um, 50, 60, 70 hour work weeks, right? That doesn't really fit very well with family. So what I set out to do was to create a firm that still had challenging work, um, but that got rid of the things that didn't fit anymore. So the same things that attracted me to doing part-time project work, um, I knew we were attracting other people. So well, how we do it is 
when someone applies to us, if they have the right skill set and are a good culture fit, um, what we do is we ask them what their optimum schedule is. And mm-hmm. so what optimum means is if you could pick the ideal schedule to work into your life, how many hours would that be? What days of the week would that be? And people basically make their own schedule and we assign them projects that fit that optimum schedule. Now, is everybody on your team in the United States? Everybody on our team is in the United States. Okay. So you, you have three time zones, basically. We have three time zones. The, the vast majority of our people are in the central Ohio area. Okay. Um, we started our firm before the internet, right? And so work was performed yes, right. in the office or at our client sites. Um, that has evolved to some at the client, some at our home, some at the office. Um, we were pretty well positioned when COVID hit to work from wherever. Um, so we weren't impacted that much. Um, and we're just now starting to get employees that are um, outside of Ohio. Okay. Gotcha. I mean, first of all, Lori, you realize you're talking crazy talk, right? <laughs> you actually go to your people ask them what their ideal schedule is, and then you help them create it. Pretty much. I mean, that's insane, right? (laughs) Come on, Laurie. You can't do that. You you know, we're in a business here. That's what I keep hearing. We're in business. We can't possibly let each individual person determine their schedule. Yeah. One of the things I like to talk about is is that the 40-hour work week with everybody starting at the same time and ending at the same time was important when we were manufacturing, you know, era where everybody needed to be on the line when they right. put the power on and the line started moving. Well, that's not how it works anymore. And so <laughs> we need to be way more open to alternative schedules. There's tons of benefit to that. Um, yeah. People show up, they're engaged, they're not distracted by the things in their life that are going on when they're working because they try to not work when those things are going on. Um, we have lower turnover which we all know that turnover is very expensive, not only in dollars and cents, but also our clients get irritated when their service provider turns over. Yeah, because then they have to, somebody else has to relearn who they are. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. They have have a relationship. Our clients love when um, they use us for a project and two years later they come back and we have the exact same person to push back (laughs) on the next project. That actually really is a nice benefit. And how, how flexible is that schedule? I mean, is, are some people working in the middle of the night or is it really, you have a couple core hours? So, so for meetings? the schedule is generally dictated by what the client needs. Okay. Um, some of that time is generally in their core working hours, but some, some of that time can be whenever works in the employee, our team member schedule. Yeah. Um, so the client, when we assess a project, we determine, you know, what is needed for that project. And then we, fill in from our team of people who can meet that client need. Okay. No, it's a, basically it's a funnel. We assess the skill set needed, the time available, the commute. um, And another layer with COVID is, is it on-site work? And is our person comfortable with on-site work? So again, we have this funnel and the ideal situation is a perfect person comes out the bottom of the funnel. (laughs) There you go. Nice. So I want to be clear for everyone, Lori, so when you talk to people about ideal schedule, it's somewhat about time of day, but it's really about how many hours they want to work. So someone could say, I want to work 20 hours yes. and that's okay, right? Well, actually our minimum we've determined is 24. Okay. So most of our people work in the 24 to 40 range. 
Um, we service a lot of really big clients like Fund of America, Nationwide Insurance, Cardinal Health, um, Abercrombie and Fitch, right? And so our projects are big, several hundred hours often. So we, somebody working a small amount of hours isn't generally a good fit. Hmm. That, you know, this whole thing is, is truly fascinating to me, and hopefully everybody picked up on my sarcasm earlier. This, because I would say so many people look at your business model and the fact you have big clients, which I immediately think high demand. You know, a lot of people say the big companies dictate what they want. And here you are actually listening to your people <laughs> and building um, schedules and lifestyles for them that fit them. And I just, I can tell you, I have had so many leaders tell me over the last 10 or 15 years that in a scenario like what you're describing, they'll say it doesn't work. It can't work because <laughs> there's too many, there's too many moving parts and then people are going to work too much or not enough and blah, 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 blah. And you just seem like you just walked in and said, here's how we're going to do it. And look, it works. Well, I will tell you in the beginning, selling the concept to big companies was a little challenging. Um, you know, big companies think like, 40 or 50 hours is what works for them. And um, in the beginning, I had to offer a money-back guarantee that if they came with us for the project and they weren't happy, I would refund their money. Wow. And honestly, I've never, I, I can honestly say I've never refunded anybody the money. One time we had a project that the person wasn't happy and we refunded their money and they came back three months later and said, yeah, I tried another firm and you guys are way better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what are some of the key, what was the, the key in the beginning when you had pushback from people? I hear you say money back guarantee, but if I'm a business, that's a value to me, but that's probably not all of it. What was the key message to them that had people um, buy in? One of our value solutions is that we're offering more experience to people to do a lower level job often hmm. okay um, because my people have high skill sets but in order to work their optimum schedule they don't mind working and doing a job that might be slightly below their skill set so mm -hmm. the client is going to get somebody who can do the job without asking a lot of questions um, is a self-starter has a great skill set and so they can often do a 40-hour job in 24 hours that totally makes sense i love that I'm curious, uh, you're, you've got 80 professionals right now. Um, what kind of, what kind of growth trajectory has this business been on over those 29 years? Uh, so in 29 years, we've had an up year every year, except for about three, um, the 2009, 10, uh, recession, uh, we had a couple of years, I actually grew the firm to about 40 people without any sort of infrastructure. And that wasn't really very wise. And so I had to take a, about a year or two to retrench, put in a management team and kind of get the company to start growing again um, in a different way. Um, so pretty much upward most of the time. Awesome. Now, I would, I'm gonna guess that your model very much is an attraction model when it comes to your people. I got to believe people hear about this and say, I want some of that. Is that true? And how do you nurture that attraction model? Yeah, so um, we keep a pipeline of people that are waiting to come on board with us. Um, that helps us when we get a new client that we can't 
yeah. service with our existing team. We go to our pipeline of people who are kind of waiting to come on board. Um, our best employees are referrals from our existing employees. Mm -hmm. uh, we give a bonus for that, which means that people, um, you know, pretty easy. You recruit a friend and you get a, a sizable chunk of bonus. Um, and then what we find too is that those people only are going to refer people that fit our culture. Sure. You don't want to refer somebody in who's not a good fit. Right. Um, yeah. So it works. Awesome. So you talk more about, you talked about cultural fit. Share more about what is that fit? Like, like what is the, what is the culture there that people you're looking to fit? Uh, so our culture is one of helping. Um, when we look at resumes of people, we can tell right away if they're a good technical fit for our company, hmm. you know, has a CPA, worked in public accounting, um, worked as a controller. Um, that's the technical side of the fit. Mm -hmm. The soft side cultural fit is, um, do they enjoy problem solving? Do they like fixing one thing and then going on to the next? Do they enjoy being part of a team? Um, some accountants like to get behind their computer and just, you know, <laughs> and right. we, that's great. We need a lot of those people, but those aren't really good problem solving accountants, yeah. right? We need people who um, come on board, see a problem, like to, you know, get their teeth into it and figure out how to fix it. And that's how they get their satisfaction. So it's above the the typical accountant level so this these are people who have maybe a little bit more breadth of experience they have the knowledge to be able to solve those problems and enjoy that um at, you kind of had had a glancing blow at this but how much do you look at the communication skills and how would you assess that going in um we actually have a grid of success factors um we and, and we came up with this grid sort of backwards. We had made a couple of hires that weren't a good fit. Mm. And so our management team <laughs> sat down and said, you know, what made person A a great fit and person B not a great fit? And we came up with success factors, things like, um, you know, enjoys solving problems, mm -hmm. um, enjoys being part of the client team, um, enjoys making personal relationships, has good communication skills can juggle multiple priorities and projects uh, because often our people are assigned on more than one project. Um, um, so there's a whole list of success factors. So we actually share that list of success factors with our associates, you know, people that are interviewing with us mm -hmm. and kind of let them see the things that make people successful at our firm. Um, and then we have some probing questions that we ask in our second round interview that kind of get to the bottom of, do these people really have those factors or are they just, you know, kind of answering the questions correctly? Okay. I'm curious about that part. I think that's a big struggle for organizations, Lori, if they have clarity on what they're looking for, which mm -hmm. many don't, <laughs> many don't, but those that do, then they struggle. Well, how do we translate that culture and those fit into questions in the interview? Right. So what has been sort of the secret sauce for you around interviewing to get the right fit more often than not, sounds like? Well, before we had the success factor list, we weren't as good as we are now. Um, I would say since we developed that process and then came up with the questions, we've been much more accurate. Hmm. Uh, the questions are things like, tell us about a time when you were in a very challenging work group and nobody was listening to your ideas. Mm. What did you do? Or tell us about a time when you had a conflict with a client 
that was very emotional to you? How did you handle it? Mm-hmm. Um, and we listen not only to their answers, but sort of to their emotions, you know, and to try to drill down to their, you know, that EQ factor. How yeah. do they emotionally deal with things? Um, how do they keep a project rolling and moving forward, even if they're sort of personally affronted by the situation? The hmm. so one question I'm always curious about, Lori, is to what degree, and, and what is the word associates? That's the term you use internally? I say associates or team members. Okay, associate team members. What kind of ongoing training do they get because they're part of this organization? Yeah, so pre-COVID, we did a half a day, a quarter, where we not only taught internal technical topics, but we would bring in speakers from outside. Um, As CPAs, we have to keep our um, ongoing training up. Mm -hmm. We have to get 40 hours a year. So we company sponsor 20 of that in-house and then also give them an allowance where they can spend up to $1,000 a year. getting continuing education. And we provide that for the CPAs and the non-CPAs. So we think everybody needs to continually being a learner. Uh, <laughs> really? Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah. Well. Post-COVID, we've been doing um, monthly or every six weeks uh, shorter, like two hours at a time. Okay. Now, do you find that there's a difference since you have the IT folks in there as well as the CPAs? CPAs have a requirement, IT doesn't? Do you still see that? I mean, to me, nope. having worked in IT, I would say there's constant need for education. I think there's constant need, whether you're CPA or yeah. CISA, or you don't even have a certification. Yeah. Um, we have people who you know, are pursuing project management or um, yeah. the ASCPA has some um, certification programs. So really, it's what the person is interested in, where they want to grow their skill sets. So we, we ask employees what they're interested in and, you know, try to use their allowance. We'll take a couple of years together and fund them to do something that might be more costly in year one. So we wow. always want to support them and where they want to grow. Nice. And so I, it sounds like you're, you're actually asking them, where do you want to go several years down the line? And you're helping them find that path there. That's, that's awesome. Now, do you do that also if they're wanting to do something that maybe beyond the scope of your company? Well, we see our company. So we hire a lot of our people from um, either people who have big jobs and they have things going on in their personal life, like growing their families or something else, and they want to scale back. We also have people that have been home for a long time who are returning to the workforce. Ah, And sometimes those people kind of use us as um, a middle ground, you know, sharpening Mm -hmm. their skills, uh, getting back up to speed, and then they might leave us and go on to more full-time uh, career growth okay. uh, versus pe- a lot of our people are sort of plateauing. They want to um, be working and growing their skill sets and doing challenging work, but they're really not ready to kind of go back to that uh, big company 50, mm. 60 hour week yeah. career trajectory again. Okay. Well, you continue to amaze me, Laurie, because you continue to share stories of ways the examples are we ask them, we ask them, we ask them. Um, and and I, I love something. I, I don't know if everybody caught it, felt really simple, but innovative in today's world of having your people pool their uh, allowance, their training allowances, which I just love that versus, <laughs> you know, instead of saying, well, go find a way to spend your money. Some of them come together and 
can get something that they all want and put the everything you're telling me is just I, I'm I'm grateful that it exists. I'm thinking, how do we get like 10 million people to have the same mindset? This simple it's simple stuff. But so to that point, it is simple, right? Nothing you've said is complicated. But we know that in business there are complexities. So what are the challenges hmm. you face with this model? So I would say scheduling each and every person for the exact schedule they want is much harder than say when I was in public accounting and you just got assigned, right? We ask our people, here's the potential project. Are you interested? Um, Do you think you would like this? And they have a chance to say yes or no. So that's going to take us on the scheduling side much more time because, you know, we're looking for that consensus. Mm -hmm. So we probably spend twice as much time on the assigning and finding the right person, but we don't have the turnover and we have happy clients out there, uh, happy clients because they're serviced by happy Kaiser consulting people. So we feel it's worth investing in that. And I think other companies are worried about how much time that takes. It's a trade-off. It's a trade-off. So within Kaiser consulting, I'm curious because of the nature of the work and the and the professionals that are doing the work. Is there typically a career path for someone that wants it? And if so, what is that? So I would say there's a career path. I have seven shareholders that um, were all people that I um, promoted up from being regular um, service delivery consultants to a director of client service and then ultimately to shareholder. So we ask pretty much every person on our staff every year, do you want more challenges? Um, do you, are you ready for more in your career? Um, one of the other places we hire from is people kind of at the end of their career. They're done with the big uh, business and all the bureaucracy and red tape of working for a big company, but they still enjoy um, providing services. So, you know, those people want to show up on the days they want to work and do a great job, but they don't really want career upward mobility. Um, So we really, again, in the annual valuation process, ask every person, um, do you want, is it your goal to move up to be a director of client service? And if they say yes, then we um, customize a plan where they start to go on sales calls or they get time to do uh, business development during their work week. Mm. So we, again, try to listen to what they want and provide that path for them. Awesome. I I just keep laughing, Lori. (laughs) So much, I I hear almost daily the opposite. <laughs> right. You know, companies telling people how they're going to do things, making decisions for their people without any input from their people. And you've like literally flipped it on its head and said, tell us what you want. And, but the outcome is, you know, the output, the outcome is delivering, sounds like great value, great experience, great um, services to your clients. And you're doing it with this, Craig's phrase is people first. This is your people first. Yeah. So our tagline is flexible work for exceptional professionals. Hmm. So Jeff, I, it sounds like she has a sign that says humans allowed here rather than no humans allowed. Well, <laughs> humans encouraged. Yeah, that's right. Humans only. Humans only. That's right. Uh, one of the questions that came to me, Lori, 
you're talking about the people who want to advance and they get to, I think the next level would be director level. What do you do to help them develop? Do you do anything unique to help them develop their leadership skills? Uh, because you certainly offer training. Uh, some of that's technical. Some is people skills. They have their, their allowances for that. But how intentional are you in developing your people who want to grow into other roles? So if they say they're interested in uh, becoming a director, we have a list of skills that um, are needed. And we have a way of um, training them for those skills. Um, we ask them to do things like uh, write an article for the newsletter, um, write a blog post, um, go out and do some speaking in the community, mm. go on a sales call, write a proposal. Um, they can pick and choose which of those things they feel comfortable with. Um, some of, you know, kind of every person has something that, oh, those couple are easy and those couple are harder for me. So um, we basically work with them so that the ones that are challenging for them, they can have a mentor to help them. Hmm. Um, you know, they're not going to go on a sales call by themselves. They're going to go with another director. They're going to do a first draft of proposal and then sit down with the director and, you know, fine tune it. So. We, we use on-the-job experiences to get them the skills they need. Great. Wow. This, when you were describing that, Lori, it sounded very much like one thing that we've shared here on other episodes. Uh, it's a metaphor of the bike, learning to ride a bike. And when you think about how do we teach children to ride a bike, and if we could apply that in our business, and I'm hearing that's what you're doing. Like you're, you're not throwing them on the bike saying, hey, here's your training. Um, Balance is really important. <laughs> Pedal and balance and you're good. Go, here's the hill. And by the way, you should probably stop at the bottom because there's a highway. No, we run, run along with them. We hold the seat. We encourage them. We do all those things. And I'm just, as you were describing, I'm visualizing this bike riding in your development, which I love. Yeah, One and thing. honestly, I think COVID's been great for that because... <laughs> um, Instead of having to have somebody leave their client site to go on an on-site um, yeah. you know, sales call, it's, hey, they can hop on a Zoom call and be part of you know, the, the back and forth of gathering information for a new client. Oh, that is so good. Really good point. Now, when you look at the promotion, you're, you're promoting people. What are the things that you're looking for when, when you are looking at that person that's, that's taking the next level, that's going to be supervising others? Yeah, so I would say we're looking for, we have a good chunk of people that really want to just come to work, do a great job, mm -hmm. and go home at the end of the day because they have a lot of other uh, <laughs> priorities on their time okay. and, and places they need to be. So we're typically looking for people who want to do a little bit more, um, want to attend um, organizations um, where there can be networking or want to go on those sales calls. Or oh, we're looking for people who are jumping on the committees. Mm -hmm. um, we have a diversity and inclusion committee. We have a social committee. We have a training committee um, who's raising their hand to teach in our internal training, um, who's raising their hand to you know, go on the new projects where we have new uh, AICPA pronouncements about um, you know, new technical pronouncements. Who's going to that training and coming back and then teaching the rest of us? Ah, gotcha. There are clearly, um, in our business, there's probably about 10% of our employees are in that bin of, I'm looking for more. Hmm. 
Okay. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I've been a Beta Gamma Sigma member for the last 20 years. If you're looking to hire, the right candidate is closer than you think. Beta Gamma Sigma is the International Business Honor Society, exclusively for students at the top of their class in the top 5% of business schools in the world. BGS members are academic achievers, skilled leaders, and experienced problem solvers, and their skills and experience extend beyond the classroom. They hold chapter leadership positions, attend global business summits, complete ethics trainings, and engage in world-class internships with top corporations. When you hire a Beta Gamma Sigma member, you are truly hiring the best in business. For more information, email bgshonors at betagammasigma.org to learn more about how to hire BGS members. Welcome back. So one thing you have not mentioned, Lori, and it's interesting for the profession you're in, you haven't talked about anybody working long hours. Is that the reality in Kaiser Consulting, that people don't work the big hours, even if they wanted them? They do not work the big hours. People don't come to us because they want to work the big hours. People come to us because they want a part-time flexible schedule. We have a couple of processes in place that monitor. Um, we have a report that comes out every week that tells us who's working plus or minus five hours from their optimum. And we look at that every single week. As soon as somebody's on the list for two weeks in a row, they're gonna get a call from a director to say, hey, uh, I see you're on the report. You're working, you know, you worked eight hours over last week and 10 hours over this week. What's up? Do you need more resources on your client? Um, sometimes the, uh, the person will say, um, oh yeah, that's okay. Um, I'm working remotely, so I'm saving 10 hours a week in my commute. And so being over is fine. Um, and sometimes people will say, yeah, it's a lot. And, and our director will then reach out to the client and say, hey, you're working this person more than we agreed upon. What's going on? Is there an end in sight to that? Um, you know, our promise to our employees is to keep them in their optimal hours. Yeah. So um, we have a process and we work that process every week. I love that, Lori, because you're not only saying, hey, what is your optimum hour, uh, your optimum schedule, but now you're actually monitoring that so that they keep that optimum schedule. What, what a novel concept. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Again, it takes time, um, but it works. Yeah, but so you're rewarded with lower turnover and more dedicated, engaged people. Yeah, it's funny um, because people actually now know that if they do that, they'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm getting the call. <laughs> I know. That's okay. That, that's actually a little form of, hey, you know what? You're loved. Yeah, we're looking out for you. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that it seems like you've avoided or intentionally planned for so it didn't happen is so many organizations fall into the trap i'll call it a trap of they promote their high performers based upon but the performance is based upon skill sets that are not the skill sets for the next level yeah some of them are set. some of them are there's some version so how have you navigated that and, and, if, and if you've had the misses, what'd you do to learn from those misses? So one of the things that's necessary in moving from a consultant to a director is you have to be good at juggling a lot of balls. We have a lot of people that are high performers, but 
they're generally high performers when they're on a single client and mm-hmm. can be really focused. And right. we can see that some those type people, as soon as we give them two projects on, suddenly they're doing neither one well. Right. So that's one skill that we test and make sure the person's good at multiple priorities. And then the other thing is, um, are they willing to be externally focused? Are they willing to build a network, go out into the community, um, go on sales calls? A lot of accountants don't really want that. So right. we have a pretty open dialogue about to move up to the next level. That has to be something that you're open to learning. You don't have to be good at it right away, but you know you have to go on those sales calls and get that skill. And um, we try to make it less scary. Um, by saying it's really not selling, it's going out and assessing someone's problem and deciding if we are a solution for that problem, because then you're problem solving, um, just an extension of the kind of work you're doing every day at a client. Yeah, very good. So it sounds like, Lori, that the people who de- um, advance the director level, those roles are primarily, I'm going to call them business development, they're client, client focused role, a lot of the things you've talked about. And I'm curious, are there development opportunities to manage people internally? And what do you look for in that? Because Craig and I, that's something we do a lot of programs on and also hear a lot of feedback of people not getting developed to manage people. Yeah. So the director role is 50% managing the people that are on the clients and about 25% administrative supervising things like our internal training and internal processes, evaluation process, and then 25% business development. So um, those roles are a mix of a lot of different things, both internal and external. Um, And it's funny, when I first developed the role, um, two of the people that I've identified for that role were like, oh, I don't really think I'm ready for that. I don't want that. Um, And I had to promise them that they could go back if they (laughs) the role for a while and didn't like it. Nice. But they both stayed. It's interesting, you know, when you when you give that person a chance at it and and let them experience it with no risk, that is a very good good ploy. Yeah, uh, they were both afraid that they would um, that the job would grow and be big and they'd be working tons of hours. Yeah. You know, and I said, this is the same. You know, I have the same philosophy on this role as I did on other roles. You get to decide how much you work. So our direct, even our director management level people. Some of them work 75% of a full-time schedule. Some of them work 60%. So mm-hmm. they get to choose and we assign the amount of work to fit their goals. Wow. One, of the, one question I'm curious about, Lori, is uh, we found a, a Gallup survey. It came out, I think, in February that was mm-hmm. talking about that the, the, the need today for managers to be coaches is like at the top of the list, their ability to coach their people. And they concluded that the training of managers to be coaches, their word was dismal. <laughs> and so what do you do? Do your managers, do you see them as coaches? And what kind of things do you do to develop that for and within them? Well, it's funny you should use that word coach because um, I get asked a lot, you know, did you use a coach? And I always think, well, coach is a kind of a newer term. Like when I started this business almost 30 years ago, there were no coaches. Right. You know, I was figuring out by making mistakes. Um, so I think that the whole coaching concept is great. Um, we 
I would say that all of my directors of client service, they are coaches. Um, our people, our service delivery team members are encouraged to reach out with client situations that are difficult um, to get the ear of their director to brainstorm and come up with, you know, what would you do? Here's what I was thinking. Do you have any other suggestions? Um, and there's also a lot of peer-to-peer -peer, uh, support. Hmm. Um, four or five people that might work on one project, you know, they'll stay connected. And when they all go to different projects, they might reach out to each other. Um, so between the director, we have a mentorship program if somebody's interested, and then that peer-to-peer, -peer, um, people have a lot of avenues to turn to to grow their skills and to, awesome. to bounce things off people. Kudos. I love that. You alluded to something there, Lori, about early on, you said, we, I made mistakes. <laughs> wow. And Right. And it's an interesting thing that Craig and I have discovered is that leaders regularly talk about how important it was to learn from their mistakes. But very few leaders actually create a culture where it's safe to try new things and make mistakes. There's this, yeah. to me, a, a disconnect of, I learn a lot from trying new things, but then they create a culture that says that people say, no, no, we can't try new things. We got to just make sure we get it right. What have you learned in your 29 journey about 29 your journey on that? And how have you um, allowed that in your organization? I think it's okay to make mistakes. Um, I'm a big believer in gathering information, kind of coming up with, what we think is the best way forward, taking a couple of steps in the process, reevaluating, taking a couple of more steps. Um, I don't like big plunges off, you know, cliffs as far as, um, you know, trying something hugely new. Let's um, see, you're an accountant, I, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, like whenever we're trying to decide like a new line of service, we don't pick something, you know, vastly different from what we do. We try to, we kind of think of it as a concentric circles. Here are the services that we're really good at. And, you know, let's pick some things that are close to what we're really mm -hmm. good at. Um, and so it's not as much of a leap. And then that's kind of how we've continued to grow through gotcha. um, things that are close, close to what we're already good at. Good. So you have your core competencies. You know what those are. You look for things that, that can leverage those. Awesome. Yes. And then when we're looking to go into new things, we look for people that are highly interested in that, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, that new area. Do they have a passion for it? Can we grow on their passion rather than just picking something out of thin air and trying to find the person that wants to do it? Well, Lori, um, <laughs> You mean what you've shared has been amazing, and I keep shaking my head saying, "What really? This works? Of course it <laughs> works, but it's so rare." But I gotta believe that even today, after 29 years, you still run into people challenges. You have the thing that doesn't work. So, what are some of the the more ongoing challenges you keep facing, and what are you learning from those? Well, so people are always a challenge because. People are not like cookies, right? You can't, they're not like cookie cutters. Every person is different. Every, their goals, their risk assessment, their skills, what they want, it's all different. And some um, have nuts. Yes. 
Um, so what we've determined is, is the better job we do of listening, rather than talking about ourselves, listen to what the other person says. What are they looking for? What, are, what do they want? Um, where do they want to go? And then we layer that on what we want and need. Mm-hmm. That's a much better process than telling them what they need to be. Totally. Because most people will say, oh, yeah, I can do that. Um, because they want to be hired or, um, you know, they think they're a good fit. So we sort of flip the process around. Um, and then what we have found, if we hire the wrong person is we'll go back and we'll be like, oh yeah, they said that. And we didn't register that, or we didn't, we, it was a a red flag and we weren't paying attention. Hmm. Now, do you find when you're doing it that way, is there a potential risk to the person that's basically saying, this is what I want to do. Do they feel a sense of trust when they're going into the process or is there, are you trying to find, is there a fit? And if they don't say the right things, then, you know, they're not going to be there. So we actually tell a lot of people that we don't think they're a good fit for us. Okay. Um, You know, somebody that comes on board and wants to work 40 to 50 hours a week, every week, that's generally not a good fit for us. Hmm. Um, And a lot of times people don't really understand why they're not a good fit. And so sometimes we're explaining our culture to them. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things we do with that is we actually uh, a lot of times place those candidates or refer them to our clients because we, while they might not be a great fit for us, they could be a great fit for a client. So the client benefits by getting a referral from us, somebody who's vetted technically but then kind of in that cultural stage assessment isn't a good fit. Um, You know, then it's a win for everybody. Our client gets someone, you know, a talented person that they didn't have to go recruit. Our person, um, you know, who came through the interview process gets referred out to a great client and we kind of look good in the middle by making the connection. Absolutely. That's great. Uh, uh, One question here that's coming to me, Lori, is I think about the accounting and finance profession. And it's known as a crank it out profession. You know, you have the idea of busy season, even the auditors, everybody in accounting talks about their crazy hours. And you have built a business model in that industry that doesn't just, in fact, almost rejects it. And you've got clients who keep coming back to you who are used to that other experience. So what would you say if we could summarize the secret sauce of what has Kaiser Consulting created that's overcoming the basically the norm in the industry? So I think it's that we put our people first <laughs> and then they serve our clients well. And in many of the other firms, the client needs come first and they just crunch it out with whatever people they have. Um, and, and I understand, you know, those big firms have huge name clients. They have tight deadlines. They're providing a different kind of service than we do. Very deadline driven. And they're in this circle of, they work the people, they have lots of hours and then they leave and they get new people and they work them tons of hours. Um, they're just in a different cycle than we are. Well, and it seems like while their hours are involved in your business model, I'm here. You haven't said this, but it feels like your model 
is a value proposition more than an hours proposition? I, I think it is. Even though we charge our clients hourly, right. um, they see the value or they wouldn't be coming back. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you brought that up um, as sort of a, a wrap-up point about that focus on people first. A few, Not that long ago, three or four years ago, I worked with an accounting firm and sat down with their team and asked them that question at a retreat. What would you say is the top priority of this firm, <laughs> the clients or the team? Immediately, I couldn't even get the question out, and they said, oh, the clients. And I said, what's the number two priority? And, and they started to answer team. And I said, number two priority, is it clients or team? <laughs> and they said, oh, client. They sort of got it. Third priority, clients. We got to fourth priority. And they said, well, we sort of start to come in there. Wow. But, but certainly by fifth priority. And the interesting thing was that the owners did not see that. And in many ways, thought it wasn't bad. In fact, when they saw that, they went, well, isn't that good? Don't clients come first? And then they started to see the impact of their team, of that mindset, of the team saying, we're second-class citizens here. Yeah. We are a cog in this machine. And it was, it was they were open, though. I love that the owners were open to say, oh, you know what? Maybe that's not such a great idea. And I love that you clearly at Kaiser Consulting have said, no, our people come first. And when we put them first, our clients will be served well. We've fired clients that were not treating our people well. We've fired clients who were not uh, minding the hour, you know, limits that we put. Um, And we also turn down projects if we don't have the right consultant. Mm -hmm. If we don't have somebody that we've think is, you know, like a 95% fit skill set wise, we tell the client no. Um, And so our clients also get to know that we're saying no, because we don't have the quality that we want. Hmm. Um, Wow. I love that. That's that's a perfect bow. That's a perfect bow (laughs) to say our culture and our people matter so much. We will happily say no to a client. and everybody wants to say yes. Call Kaiser Consulting. They will say no to you. <laughs> Lori, this is so fantastic and so yes. many great, very practical things people can use, whether they've got a small business or a growing business, big business, it all fits. People first, people first. We always like to wrap up and have our guests uh, share anything that they're promoting or focused either personally, professionally right now. So what is that for you? Um, so I would just say if you are running a small business and you don't know what your key performance indicators are for your business, then you need somebody like Kaiser Consulting. Um, <laughs> we like to help companies under, understand their financial statements so that they're not just, hey, this is what happened last month. It's here's where I'm going. Um, here's where I need to be. Here's how to benchmark against my competitors. Here's how I can make more money and scale. Awesome. And, and Lori, what's the best way for people to reach out and connect with you? Uh, so they can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and then we also have a contact us page on our company website, which is kaiserconsulting.com. Fabulous. So Lori, we always wrap up with a couple of signature questions. And the first one for you is, what is the book? I'm sure you read a lot like Craig and I, but what is the book if someone wants to gather some business and leadership wisdom? So one of the 
books I like to recommend, particularly to people early in their career, is a book called Brag, The Art of Tooting Your Own Horn Without Knowing It. <laughs> so um, the reason I think this book is so important is a lot of people have difficulty talking about their accomplishments. Um, but I think it's important to talk about what you do well, what you want to do in the future, so that people know the, the right opportunities and they mm. can send them your way. I have not heard of that book. I yeah. love the tagline, you know, how to toot your <laughs> horn without blowing it. That's awesome. <laughs> and that is, you know, I, that's so good, Lori. I, I was just on a call in the last week where someone was looking to advance into a role and they were asked the question, it was a direct question, why are you a great fit for this? And they answered for several minutes. And when they got done, I, I came back and I said, you, you just answered the question, but you didn't answer the question. I didn't hear anything about your capabilities. What I heard about are the problems that you see need to be solved. But what you didn't tell me is how you can solve those problems. And their response was, well, I guess I'm just very humble. And I thought, and my feedback to them later was, yeah, not being willing to share your gifts and what you're good at is not humility. And by the way, I came away saying, I don't know if you're a fit because <laughs> you yeah. couldn't so tell me how you were a fit. The book is really good. It, it walks you through a process where you develop, they call them brag bits, brag bites, <laughs> and bragalogs. Small pieces, medium-sized pieces, and kind of like the monologues about yourself. And I actually used this book. I wrote out little flashcards and kept them in the cup holder of my car, and I'd whip them out and practice at a red light. Um, I think you need to uh, – it's uncomfortable at first when you start talking about yourself, and you need to get to the point where it just, like, flows naturally. Interesting. Um, so I, I actually have a client that has he, – he comes from the finance area, and he said – He's met a lot of people that can't seem to advance their careers because they won't talk about their accomplishments. And so he's trying to help them become more visible. So that's great suggestion. Love that. Uh, and the last question for you, Lori, is uh, what's that one bit of wisdom that you would share for someone who wants to grow their leadership? Um, this is going to be a little repetitive, but um, if you treat the people in your organization, right? You know, treat them the way you want to be treated, treat them better than you want to be treated. Um, <laughs> everything else, they'll take care of all your problems and you will have a successful business. Awesome. That's great advice. And when you talk about that, you're talking about treating people the way they want to be treated. Are you asking them, you know, what are the things that drive you and so forth? Or are you making certain assumptions? I think you always need to ask. Um, we always, um, there'll be times when we're in a scheduling meeting and someone will say, oh, well, they don't want to do that. And we're <laughs> always really quick to go, well, we need to ask them. We don't yeah. we think that's going to be their answer. Um, but it's always good to ask because uh, people are even, even if their answer is no, they're flattered by the idea that, hey, yes. they think I have the skill set to do that challenging project. And then we always also say, it's, it's not really no, it's, not right now. You know, I want those challenges just, you know, not this year. Maybe I have a new baby or I have mm -hmm. kids going to new schools or maybe I'm taking care of an aged parent. Um, so for those high performers, it's okay to say no. And we make it safe for them to say no. Oh, that's so good. Well, we opened with crazy and we finished with crazy. <laughs> just ask your people and then follow through on it. Thank you, Lori, for being with us, for sharing. And more importantly, thank you for what you've created. 
because to me it's different, it's unique, and you have allowed hundreds of people over the last 30 years and at least 80 today to have a career and a life that they want. That's the gift to the world. So thank you for creating that. Well, thank you for having me and let me talk about it. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you, and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.